story one of life's little ironies a set of tales with some colloquial sketches entitled a few crusted characters this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by david wales life's little ironies by thomas hardy story one the sun's veto chapter one to the eyes of a man viewing it from behind the nut-brown hair was a wonder and a mystery under the black beaver hat surmounted by its tuft of black feathers the long locks braided and twisted and coiled like the rushes of a basket composed a rare if somewhat barbaric example of ingenious art one could understand such weavings and coilings being wrought to last intact for a year or even a calendar month but that they should be all demolished regularly at bedtime after a single day of permanence seemed a reckless waste of successful fabrication and she had done it all herself poor thing she had no maid and it was almost the only accomplishment she could boast of hence the unstinted pains she was a young invalid lady not so very much of an invalid sitting in a wheeled chair which had been pulled up in the front part of a green enclosure close to a bandstand where a concert was going on during a warm june afternoon it had place in one of the minor parks or private gardens that are to be found in the suburbs of london and was the effort of a local association to raise money for some charity there are worlds within worlds in the great city and although nobody outside the immediate district had ever heard of the charity or the band or the garden the enclosure was filled with an interested audience sufficiently informed on all these as the strains proceeded many of the listeners observed the chaired lady whose back hair by reason of her prominent position so challenged inspection her face was not easily discernible but the aforesaid cunning tress-weavings the white ear and pole and the curve of a cheek which was neither flaccid nor sallow were signals that led to the expectation of good beauty in front such expectations are not infrequently disappointed as soon as the disclosure comes and in the present case when the lady by a turn of the head at length revealed herself she was not so handsome as the people behind her had supposed and even hoped they did not know why for one thing alas the commonness of this complaint she was less young than they had fancied her to be yet attractive her face unquestionably was and not at all sickly the revelation of its details came each time she turned to talk to a boy of twelve or thirteen who stood beside her and the shape of whose hat and jacket implied that he belonged to a well-known public school the immediate bystanders could hear that he called her mother when the end of the recital was reached and the audience withdrew many chose to find their way out by passing at her elbow almost all turned their heads to take a full and clear look at the interesting woman who remained stationary in the chair till the way should be clear enough for her to be wheeled out without obstruction 
as if she had expected their glances and did not mind gratifying their curiosity she met the eyes of several of her observers by lifting her own showing these to be soft brown and affectionate orbs a little plaintive in their regard she was conducted out of the gardens and passed along the pavement till she disappeared from view the schoolboy walking beside her to inquiries made by some persons who watched her away the answer came that she was the second wife of the incumbent of a neighbouring parish and that she was lame she was generally believed to be a woman with a story an innocent one but a story of some sort or other in conversing with her on their way home the boy who walked at her elbow said that he hoped his father had not missed them he had been so comfortable these last few hours that i am sure he cannot have missed us she replied has dear mother not have exclaimed the public schoolboy with an impatient fastidiousness that was almost harsh surely you know that by this time his mother hastily adopted the correction and did not resent his making it or retaliate as she might well have done by bidding him to wipe that crummy mouth of his whose condition had been caused by surreptitious attempts to eat a piece of cake without taking it out of the pocket wherein it lay concealed after this the pretty woman and the boy went onward in silence that question of grammar bore upon her history and she fell into reverie of a somewhat sad kind to all appearance it might have been assumed that she was wondering if she had done wisely in shaping her life as she had shaped it to bring out such a result as this in a remote nook in north wessex forty miles from london near the thriving county town of alberkham there stood a pretty village with its church and parsonage which she knew well enough but her son had never seen it was her native village gaymead and the first event bearing upon her present situation had occurred at that place when she was a girl of nineteen how well she remembered it that first act in her little tragicomedy the death of her reverend husband's first wife it happened on a spring evening and she who now and for many years had filled that first wife's place was then parlour-maid in the parson's house when everything had been done that could be done and the death was announced she had gone out in the dusk to visit her parents who were living in the same village to tell them the sad news as she opened the white swing-gate and looked towards the trees which rose westward shutting out the pale light of the evening sky she discerned without much surprise the figure of a man standing in the hedge though she roguishly exclaimed as a matter of form oh sam how you frightened me he was a young gardener of her acquaintance she told him the particulars of the late event and they stood silent these two young people in that elevated calmly philosophic mind which is engendered when a tragedy has happened close at hand and has not happened to the philosophers themselves but it had its bearing upon their relations and will you stay on now at the vicarage just the same asked he she had hardly thought of that oh yes i suppose she said everything will be just as usual i imagine he walked beside her towards her mother's presently his arm stole round her waist she gently removed it but he placed it there again and she yielded the point 
you see dear sophy you don't know that you'll stay on you may want a home and i shall be ready to offer one some day though i may not be ready just yet why sam how can you be so fast i've never even said i liked ye and it is all your own doing coming after me still it is nonsense to say i am not to have a try at you like the rest he stooped to kiss her a farewell for they had reached her mother's door no sam you shan't she cried putting her hand over his mouth you ought to be more serious on such a night as this and she bade him adieu without allowing him to kiss her or to come indoors the vicar just left a widower was at this time a man about forty years of age of good family and childless he had led a secluded existence in this college living partly because there was no resident landowners and his loss now intensified his habit of withdrawal from outward observation he was still less seen than heretofore kept himself still less in time with the rhythm and racket of the movements called progress in the world without for many months after his wife's decease the economy of his household remained as before the cook the housemaid the parlour-maid and the man out of doors performed their duties or left them undone just as nature prompted them the vicar knew not which it was then represented to him that his servants seemed to have nothing to do in his small family of one he was struck with the truth of this representation and decided to cut down his establishment but he was forestalled by sophy the parlour-maid who said one evening that she wished to leave him and why said the parson sam hobson has asked me to marry him sir well do you want to marry not much but it would be a home for me and we have heard that one of us will have to leave a day or two after she said i don't want to leave just yet sir if you don't wish it sam and i have quarrelled he looked up at her he had hardly ever observed her before though he had been frequently conscious of her soft presence in the room what a kitten-like flexuous tender creature she was she was the only one of the servants with whom he came into immediate and continuous relation what should he do if sophy were gone sophy did not go but one of the others did and things went on quietly again when mr twicket the vicar was ill sophy brought up his meals to him and she had no sooner left the room one day than he heard a noise on the stairs she had slipped down with the tray and so twisted her foot that she could not stand the village surgeon was called in the vicar got better but sophy was incapacitated for a long time and she was informed that she must never again walk much or engage in such occupation which required her to stand long on her feet as soon as she was comparatively well she spoke to him alone since she was forbidden to walk and bustle about and indeed could not do so it became her duty to leave she could very well work at something sitting down and she had an aunt a seamstress the parson had been very greatly moved by what she had suffered on his account and he exclaimed no sophy lame or not lame i cannot let you go you must never leave me again 
he came close to her and though she could never exactly tell how it happened she became conscious of his lips upon her cheek he then asked her to marry him sophy did not exactly love him but she had a respect for him which almost amounted to veneration even if she had wished to get away from him she hardly dared refuse a personage so reverend and august in her eyes and she assented forthwith to be his wife thus it happened that one fine morning when the doors of the church were naturally open for ventilation and the singing birds fluttered in and alighted on the tie-beams of the roof there was a marriage service at the communion rails which hardly a soul knew of the parson and a neighbouring curate had entered at one door and sophy at another followed by two necessary persons whereupon in a short time there emerged a newly made husband and wife mr twicket knew perfectly well that he had committed social suicide by this step despite sophy's spotless character and he had taken his measures accordingly an exchange of livings had been arranged with an acquaintance who was incumbent of a church in the south of london and as soon as possible the couple removed thither abandoning their pretty country home with trees and shrubs and glebe for a narrow dusty house in a long straight street and their fine peal of bells for the wretchedest one-tongued clangour that ever tortured mortal ears it was all on her account they were however away from every one who had known her former position and also under less observation from without than they would have had to put up with in any country parish sophy the woman was as charming a partner as a man could possess though sophy the lady had her deficiencies she showed a natural aptitude for little domestic refinements so far as related to things and manners but in what is called culture she was less intuitive she had now been married more than fourteen years and her husband had taken much trouble with her education but she still held confused ideas on the use of was and were which did not beget a respect for her among the few acquaintances she made her great grief in this relation was that her only child on whose education no expense had been and would be spared was now old enough to perceive these deficiencies in his mother and not only to see them but to feel irritated at their existence thus she lived on in the city and wasted hours in braiding her beautiful hair till her once apple cheeks waned to pink of the very faintest her foot had never regained its natural strength after the accident and she was mostly obliged to avoid walking altogether her husband had grown to like london for its freedom and its domestic privacy but he was twenty years his sophie's senior and had latterly been seized with a serious illness on this day however he had seemed to be well enough to justify her accompanying her son randolph to the concert chapter two the next time we get a glimpse of her is when she appears in the mournful attire of a widow mr twicket had never rallied and now lay in a well-packed cemetery to the south of the great city where if all the dead it contained had stood erect and alive not one would have known him or recognized his name the boy had dutifully followed him to the grave and was now again at school 
throughout these changes sophy had been treated like the child she was in nature though not in years she was left with no control over anything that had been her husband's beyond her modest personal income in his anxiety lest her inexperience should be overreached he had safeguarded with trustees all he possibly could the completion of the boy's course at the public school to be followed in due time by oxford and ordination had been all previsioned and arranged and she really had nothing to occupy her in the world but to eat and drink and make a business of indolence and go on weaving and coiling the nut-brown hair merely keeping a home open for the son whenever he came to her during vacations foreseeing his probable decease long years before her her husband in his lifetime had purchased for her use a semi-detached villa in the same long straight road whereon the church and parsonage faced which was to be hers as long as she chose to live in it here she now resided looking out upon the fragment of lawn in front and through the railings at the ever-flowing traffic or bending forward over the window-sill on the first floor stretching her eyes far up and down the vista of sooty trees hazy air and drab house facades along which echoed the noises common to a suburban main thoroughfare somehow her boy with his aristocratic school knowledge his grammars and his aversions was losing those wide infantine sympathies extending as far as to the sun and moon themselves with which he like other children had been born and which his mother a child of nature herself had loved in him he was reducing their compass to a population of a few thousand wealthy and titled people the mere veneer of a thousand million or so of others who did not interest him at all he drifted further and further away from her sophie's milieu being a suburb of minor tradesmen and underclerks and her almost only companions the two servants of her own house it was not surprising that after her husband's death she soon lost the little artificial tastes she had acquired from him and became in her son's eyes a mother whose mistakes and origin it was his painful lot as a gentleman to blush for as yet he was far from being man enough if he ever would be to rate these sins of hers at their true infinitesimal value beside the yearning fondness that welled up and remained penned in her heart till it should be more fully accepted by him or by some other person or thing if he had lived at home with her he would have had all of it but he seemed to require so very little in present circumstances and it remained stored her life became insupportably dreary she could not take walks and had no interest in going for drives or indeed in travelling anywhere nearly two years passed without an event and still she looked on that suburban road thinking of the village in which she had been born and whither she would have gone back oh how gladly even to work in the fields taking no exercise she often could not sleep and would rise in the night or early morning and look out upon the then vacant thoroughfare where the lamps stood like sentinels waiting for some procession to go by 
an approximation to such a procession was indeed made early every morning about one o'clock when the country vehicles passed up with loads of vegetables for covent garden market she often saw them creeping along at this silent and dusky hour wagon after wagon bearing green bastions of cabbages nodding to their fall yet never falling walls of baskets enclosing masses of beans and peas pyramids of snow-white turnips swaying howdahs of mixed produce creeping along behind aged night-horses who seemed ever patiently wondering between their hollow coughs why they had always to work at that still hour when all other sentient creatures were privileged to rest wrapped in a cloak it was soothing to watch and sympathize with them when depression and nervousness hindered sleep and to see how the fresh green stuff brightened to life as it came opposite the lamp and how the sweating animals steamed and shone with their miles of travel they had an interest almost a charm for sophie these semi-rural people and vehicles moving in an urban atmosphere leading a life quite distinct from that of the daytime toilers on the same road one morning a man who accompanied a wagon-load of potatoes gazed rather hard at the house-fronts as he passed and with a curious emotion she thought his form was familiar to her she looked out for him again his being an old-fashioned conveyance with a yellow front it was easily recognizable and on the third night after she saw it a second time the man alongside was as she had fancied sam hobson formerly gardener at gamied who at one time would have married her she had occasionally thought of him and wondered if life in a cottage with him would not have been a happier lot than the life she had accepted she had not thought of him passionately but her now dismal situation lent an interest to his resurrection a tender interest which it is impossible to exaggerate she went back to bed and began thinking when did these market gardeners who travelled up to town so regularly at one or two in the morning come back she dimly recollected seeing their empty wagons hardly noticeable amid the ordinary day traffic passing down at some hour before noon it was only april but that morning after breakfast she had the window opened and sat looking out the feeble sun shining full upon her she affected to sew but her eyes never left the street between ten and eleven the desired wagon now unladen reappeared on its return journey but sam was not looking round him then and drove on in a reverie sam cried she turning with a start his face lighted up he called to him a little boy to hold the horse alighted and came and stood under her window i can't come down easily sam or i would she said did you know i lived here well mrs twicket i knew you lived along here somewhere i have often looked out for ye he briefly explained his own presence on the scene he had long since given up his gardening in the village near Albrickham, and was now manager at a market gardener's on the south side of london it being part of his duty to go up to covent garden with wagon-loads of produce two or three times a week 
in answer to her curious inquiry he admitted that he had come to this particular district because he had seen in the alberkin paper a year or two before the announcement of the death in south london of the aforetime vicar of gamede which had revived an interest in her dwelling-place that he could not extinguish leading him to hover about the locality till his present post had been secured they spoke of their native village in dear old north wessex the spots in which they had played together as children she tried to feel that she was a dignified personage now that she must not be too confidential with sam but she could not keep it up and the tears hanging in her eyes were indicated in her voice you are not happy mrs twicket i'm afraid he said oh of course not i lost my husband only the year before last ah i meant in another way you'd like to be home again this is my home for life the house belongs to me but but i understand she let it out then yes sam i long for home our home i should like to be there and never leave it and die there but she remembered herself that's only a momentary feeling i have a son you know a dear boy he's at school now somewhere handy i suppose i see there's lots of em along this road oh no not in one of these wretched holes at a public school one of the most distinguished in england chock at all of course i forget ma'am that you've been a lady for so many years no i am not a lady she said sadly i never shall be but he's a gentleman and that makes it oh how difficult for me chapter three the acquaintance thus oddly reopened proceeded apace she often looked out to get a few words with him by night or by day her sorrow was that she could not accompany her one old friend on foot a little way and talk more freely than she could do while he paused before the house one night at the beginning of june when she was again on the watch after an absence of some days from the window he entered the gate and said softly now wouldn't some air do you good i've only half a load this morning why not ride up to covent garden with me there's a nice seat on the cabbages where i've spread a sack you can be home again in a cab before anybody is up she refused at first and then trembling with excitement hastily finished her dressing and wrapped herself up in a cloak and veil afterwards sidling downstairs by the aid of the handrail in a way she could adopt on an emergency when she had opened the door she found sam on the step and he lifted her bodily in his strong arms across the little forecourt into his vehicle not a soul was visible or audible in the infinite length of the straight flat highway with its ever waiting lamps converging to points in each direction the air was fresh as country air at this hour and the stars shone except to the northeastward where there was a whitish light the dawn sam carefully placed her in the seat and drove on they talked as they had talked in old days sam pulling himself up now and then when he thought himself too familiar more than once she said with misgiving that she wondered if she ought to have indulged in the freak but i am so lonely in my house she added and this makes me so happy 
you must come again dear mrs twicket there is no time of day for taking the air like this it grew lighter and lighter the sparrows became busy in the streets and the city waxed denser around them when they approached the river it was day and on the bridge they beheld the full blaze of morning sunlight in the direction of st paul's the river glistening towards it and not a craft stirring near covent garden he put her into a cab and they parted looking into each other's faces like the very old friends they were she reached home without adventure limped to the door and let herself in with her latch-key unseen the air and sam's presence had revived her her cheeks were quite pink almost beautiful she had something to live for in addition to her son a woman of pure instincts she knew there had been nothing really wrong in the journey but supposed it conventionally to be very wrong indeed soon however she gave way to the temptation of going with him again and on this occasion their conversation was distinctly tender and sam said he never should forget her notwithstanding that she had served him rather badly at one time after much hesitation he told her of a plan it was in his power to carry out and one he should like to take in hand since he did not care for london work it was to set up as a master greengrocer down at albercombe the county town of their native place he knew of an opening a shop kept by aged people who wished to retire and why don't you do it then sam she asked with a slight heart sinking because i'm not sure if you'd join me i know you wouldn't couldn't such a lady as you've been so long you couldn't be a wife to a man like me i hardly suppose i could she assented also frightened at the idea if you could he said eagerly you'd only have to sit in the back parlour and look through the glass partition when i was away sometimes just to keep an eye on things the lameness wouldn't hinder that i'd keep you as genteel as ever i could dear sophie if i might think of it he pleaded sam i'll be frank she said putting her hand on his if it were only myself i would do it and gladly though everything i possess would be lost to me by marrying again i don't mind that it's more independent that's good of you dear dear sam but there's something else i have a son i almost fancy when i am miserable sometimes that he is not really mine but one i hold in trust for my late husband he seems to belong so little to me personally so entirely to his dead father he is so much educated and i so little that i do not feel dignified enough to be his mother well he would have to be told yes unquestionably sam saw her thought and her fear still you can do as you like sophie mrs twicket he added it is not you who are the child but he ah you don't know sam if i could i would marry you some day but you must wait a while and let me think it was enough for him and he was blithe in their parting not so she to tell randolph seemed impossible she could wait till he had gone up to oxford when what she did would affect his life but little but would he ever tolerate the idea and if not 
could she defy him she had not told him a word when the yearly cricket match came on at lord's between the public schools though sam had already gone back to albricombe mrs twicket felt stronger than usual she went to the match with randolph and was able to leave her chair and walk about occasionally the bright idea occurred to her that she could casually broach the subject while moving round among the spectators when the boy's spirits were high with interest in the game and he would weigh domestic matters as feathers in the scale beside the day's victory they promenaded under the lurid july sun this pair so wide apart yet so near and sophie saw the large proportion of boys like her own in their broad white collars and dwarf hats and all around the rows of great coaches under which was jumbled the debris of luxurious luncheons bones pie-crusts champagne bottles glasses plates napkins and the family silver while on the coaches sat the proud fathers and mothers but never a poor mother like her if randolph had not appertained to these had not centred all his interest in them had not cared exclusively for the class they belonged to how happy would things have been a great huzzah at some small performance with the bat burst from the multitude of relatives and randolph jumped wildly into the air to see what had happened sophie fetched up the sentence that had been already shaped but she could not get it out the occasion was perhaps an inopportune one the contrast between her story and the display of fashion to which randolph had grown to regard himself as akin would be fatal she awaited a better time it was on an evening when they were alone in their plain suburban residence where life was not blue but brown that she ultimately broke silence qualifying her announcement of a probable second marriage by assuring him that it would not take place for a long time to come when he would be living quite independently of her the boy thought the idea a very reasonable one and asked if she had chosen anybody she hesitated and he seemed to have a misgiving he hoped his stepfather would be a gentleman he said not what you call a gentleman she answered timidly he'll be much as i was before i knew your father and by degrees she acquainted him with the whole the youth's face remained fixed for a moment then he flushed leant on the table and burst into passionate tears his mother went up to him kissed all of his face that she could get at and patted his back as if he were still the baby he once had been crying herself the while when he had somewhat recovered from his paroxysm he went hastily to his own room and fastened the door parleyings were attempted through the keyhole outside which she waited and listened it was long before he would reply and when he did it was to say sternly at her from within i am ashamed of you it will ruin me a miserable bore a churl a clown it will degrade me in the eyes of all the gentlemen of england say no more perhaps i am wrong i will struggle against it she cried miserably before randolph left her that summer a letter arrived from sam to inform her that he had been unexpectedly fortunate in obtaining the shop he was in possession it was the largest in the town combining fruit with vegetables 
and he thought it would form a home worthy of her some day might he not run up to town to see her she met him by stealth and said he must still wait for her final answer the autumn dragged on and when randolph was home at christmas for the holidays she broached the matter again but the young gentleman was inexorable it was dropped for months renewed again abandoned under his repugnance again attempted and thus the gentle creature reasoned and pleaded till four or five long years had passed then the faithful sam revived his suit with some peremptoriness sophy's son now an undergraduate was down from oxford one easter when she again opened the subject as soon as he was ordained she argued he would have a home of his own wherein she with her bad grammar and her ignorance would be an encumbrance to him better obliterate her as much as possible he showed a more manly anger now but would not agree she on her side was more persistent and he had doubts whether she could be trusted in his absence but by indignation and contempt for her taste he completely maintained his ascendancy and finally taking her before a little cross and altar that he had erected in his bedroom for his private devotions there bade her kneel and swear that she would not wed samuel hobson without his consent i owe this to my father he said the poor woman swore thinking he would soften as soon as he was ordained and in full swing of clerical work but he did not his education had by this time sufficiently ousted his humanity to keep him quite firm though his mother might have led an idyllic life with her faithful fruiterer and greengrocer and nobody have been anything the worse in the world her lameness became more confirmed as time went on and she seldom or never left the house in the long southern thoroughfare where she seemed to be pining her heart away why mayn't i say to sam that i'll marry him why mayn't i she would murmur plaintively to herself when nobody was near some four years after this date a middle-aged man was standing at the door of the largest fruiterer's shop in albricombe he was the proprietor but to-day instead of his usual business attire he wore a neat suit of black and his window was partly shuttered from the railway station a funeral procession was seen approaching it passed his door and went out of the town towards the village of gamid the man whose eyes were wet held his hat in his hand as the vehicles moved by while from the mourning coach a young smooth-shaven priest in a high waistcoat looked black as a cloud at the shopkeeper standing there december eighteen ninety one End of Story 1